0: To the Fallon Forum. Before we tell you about today's program, folks, I want to give a quick shout-out to the local business partners here in the Des Moines metro who helped make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Check her out, folks. Dr. Kim Holding at Story County Veterinary Clinic. Also, thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines between Locust and and Grand. Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Thanks to uh, Noche in central Iowa. That's Iowa's premier home for jazz and cabaret attracting both national acts and local favorites and featuring a world-class cocktail bar. Uh, Check out Noche, folks, on Walnut Street just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Uh, Thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with extremely friendly and helpful service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant in Clive, where you can get a wide assortment of traditional Indian food from both the north and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, so Marianne Williamson running a bit late. She's going to join us for the uh, second segment of the program, folks. So we're going to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about the uh, Bold Iowa action at the Polk County Steak Fry. You've maybe seen some of this. Uh, it's been all over, all over Facebook. Uh, a blog was posted about it. It's uh, made a little bit of news coverage as well. Uh, bottom line is the, uh, the Bold Climate Penguins, or as they're now being called, the Bold Climate Refugee Penguins, were launched um, originally in response to Andrew Yang saying that he was concerned about how people were re- going to respond to climate change because they're worried about paying their bills. It was a good point. Uh, And climate change, as far as they're concerned, is a a concern that can wait because they've got more pressing things to do. So the penguins can wait in line. About the same time that Yang said that, news broke about the second largest emperor penguin colony in in, in the Antarctic collapsing. Uh, This was a huge community that collapsed in large part because the ice was no longer there to support that community. And so, what does collapse mean? Well, a lot of those chicks died uh, some some adults moved away but uh, I don't think any i think I think nearly all the chicks perished in fact over the course of several years so um again, you know you, we used to refer to the canary in the coal mine when we were talking about a species that was warning us about some impending Problem And, again, fittingly, the, the metaphor, of course, deals with fossil fuels. The canary was put in the coal mine, and if there were gases leaking in, the canary would die, warning, uh, warning people that, hey, uh, we need to get out of here real quick. But right now, there's so many different, um, quote, canaries, including emperor penguins. So Bold Eye will launch this initiative to garner more attention to the climate crisis because sometimes – Sometimes it's okay just to ask a question and expect an answer. Sometimes you got to get more clever and creative. And so the creativity here was to uh, have people dress as penguins to let candidates know that yes, penguins, emperor penguins in particular in this case, are facing extinction, and uh, oh, actually, over a million species are likely to go extinct because of what's happening. And the bottom line is, if you look at what science is saying and if you look at the rapid movement in climate change, human beings are also on the trajectory to face possible extinction, if not outright complete extinction, then a pretty solid elimination of our way of life, our civilization, of everything we're used to and comfortable with. So the message was that, that this is an urgent crisis, and yeah, the penguins... um, the penguins can't wait in line because we're all in the same line and we all need to wake up and take action. The penguins can't fix climate change. We can We caused the problem. We can fix it. And so the bold climate penguins, or as their shirts, their, their capes now say, climate refugee, the bold climate refugee penguins, Made their first appearance at an Andrew Yang event, and he was um, <laughs> he, he was a good support. Got his picture taken with the Penguins. Uh, they made their next appearance at a Joe Biden event, standing right in front of Biden at his announcement uh, in Des Moines on May first. Um, that didn't go quite so well. Um, well, well, I say I'll say this: uh, Joe Biden had not talked about climate in his previous two or three appearances in Des Moines on his announcement tour, but with. Um, angry penguin standing in front of him. He did talk about climate change. And he did say that, um, well, he, he, he talked about how urgent climate change is. He talked about the fact that he introduced legislation back in 1987. And then he went on to say something really bizarre and disturbing. He said, what are we afraid of, folks? You know, it's not Saudi Arabia. It's not I think he said Nicaragua. He meant to say Venezuela, I'm sure. It's not somewhere in Africa. It's the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Uh, and the U.S. is now the biggest producer of, quote, energy. And, of course, by energy, he means he means fossil fuels, particularly oil and gas. He said, you know, we're now the biggest producer of energy, and we're soon going to be the biggest exporter. What are we so afraid of? And that was... Um, That was a bizarre thing to respond to people concerned about climate change because you're making the case for the opposition. Uh, Sure, that's an oil company, uh, that's an oil executive uh, talking point. What are we to be ashamed of? We're proud of the fact that we're now the biggest producer of oil. I would say this is an oil executive talking point, or it's a President Obama talking point. Sorry, true story, very sad. But President Obama, last November, boasted at a gathering in Texas, that he was responsible for the fact that the U.S. had become the biggest oil producer. Now, oil into, oil interests pushed back against that, saying, no, it's not you. Uh, but the fact that he was proud of that and wanted to make that statement, and again, Joe Biden is complicit in that, and he was, he was a vice president at the time. You could say that, well... He was vice president, but it wasn't his doing. It wasn't something he was responsible for. It wasn't something he was proud of, except that he said he was proud of it in May of this year in Des Moines with six angry penguins standing in front of him. So the penguins went on to uh, take a road trip. The uh, climate refugee penguins went to Mason City, Iowa Falls, and Newton on a Saturday a few months ago to meet with uh, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, who was still in the race at the time, uh, Amy Klobuchar. And Elizabeth Warren. And honestly, out of the three of those, we get the best response from Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, who is by far, in my opinion, the funnest candidate out there, uh, dropped out. Uh, Amy Klobuchar is just, um, she talks a good line on climate change, but the fact that she won't tell you where she stands on the Dakota Access Pipeline or Line 3 in Minnesota is deeply disturbing. In fact, um, (laughs) there's a great little video of me talking to her at the State Fair. Where I come up to her, hello, Senator Klobuchar. She's all smiles. I say the words Dakota Access Pipeline, and woof, what a change. She is suddenly walking the other way, not wanting to talk, uh, not at all interested. So this gets us up to the present moment. Uh, Last um, two weeks ago at the uh, Iowa Polk County Democrat Steak Fry, 18, well, 17, because Bill de Blasio dropped out, 17 Democratic presidential candidates show up. And the bold climate penguins are there to meet them. Uh, I was surprised that the and pleased that the uh, Polk County officials were so tolerant. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was, there was nothing um, disruptive about what the penguins did. Uh, they met the candidates at the entrance to the staging area where, when, when they arrived. Mo- several of the candidates, I think, what, six or seven of them, held big flamboyant marches with lots of supporters, lots of noise, Sometimes marching bands As they arrived at the entrance To the, um, to the steak ride. And we were there to greet them The penguins um, flashing signs saying Climate is a crisis uh, The penguins doing a little Penguin dance To the REM tune It's the end of the world as we know it You can check out the video of that On the Bold Iowa website Which is also in a few other places now But you'll find it on the Bold Iowa website Or the Bold Iowa Facebook page But um, as they were – as the penguins were dancing to it's the end of the world as we know it, the fossil fuel reaper came by. Again, the typical reaper costume, the black hood, the sickle, and the reaper cut down the penguins one at a time. Uh, Very tragic moment. And then he proceeded to cut down some humans as well to indicate that, yes, it's not just penguins that are being threatened with extinction – it's also humanity, and we need to be taking this seriously. So, uh, the only candidate we actually, well, we had, we, we talked with, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She didn't do the grand entry. Actually, neither did Warren or Sanders. They had other approaches, and eh, that's, that's commendable that they were thinking outside the box. But we had a chance to meet with Tulsi Gabbard later. Uh, but the one candidate on the way in who really, uh, took some time to, uh, say hello was Andrew Yang. Again, I love Andrew Yang's sense of humor. I, I love his, his intellect, too. He's a bright guy. I just wish he would um, talk more aggressively about climate. And he has been doing that. That's good. Even more, though. We could use even more of that. But he, um, he said, oh, the penguins. And he gave, every, he gave three of the penguins a big hug. Very, very touching moment. Anyway, the other candidates were so absorbed with the entourage of supporters and media and handlers and staff that they they might have noticed us but it was hard to tell but uh another memorable moment was when uh one of biden's supporters in the entourage a young gal dressed with a leopard print skirt i believe that's what that's called uh the guy here who knows nothing about clothing i think i might have that right she started dancing the penguin dance with uh, with kathy the uh, the the lead penguin anyway it was um it was an effective way, I think, to call additional attention to the urgency of climate change. And to their credit, um, the Polkani Democrats were tolerant uh, uh, and, and people in general seemed to be at least receptive to the message. So all good. We'll see uh, what happens next with the penguins. Maybe the penguins at this point are going to retire from active political life and try to reestablish their colony. Uh, somewhere where there's still enough ice for them to do so but honestly folks um, it's not looking good Uh, a lot of those species that depend on on really cold conditions and uh, whether it's sea ice or other um, features of uh, of Arctic living Antarctic living uh, they're not doing well Uh, they are of all the canaries in the coal mine they're probably the most visible most vocal and most vulnerable that's that folks We'll be back in a few minutes, and hopefully uh, Marianne Williamson will have arrived. We'll have her on the program. We'll talk also more about the recent developments in the Dakota Access Pipeline expansion, the expansion that's been proposed, and a very encouraging development on that front in terms of what the Iowa Utilities Board recently proposed. So we'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted, prepared foods For all
1: your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188.
2: That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch, and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying
1: to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust sergeants to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149.
2: That's 515-246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Dr.
1: Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant... Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
2: Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Rani Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant 515-255-1698 That's 515-255-1698
0: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas-Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, You can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Ed Fallon with you. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Uh, continuing to broadcast here from Des Moines, Iowa, with the cultural and culinary crossroads of America in the studios of Lorena, twelve sixty AM and ninety six point five FM. Later in the program, we'll give you an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline efforts to prevent the corporation that owns that from continuing to expand the oil that's flowing through Iowa. But I'm delighted. To welcome Marianne Williamson to the program. Marianne, how are you? I'm
3: great, thank you. Great yeah. to be with you.
0: So this is a busy time yes, in your life. Yes, it is. <laughs> Not that your life hasn't been filled with busyness for one reason or another.
3: Well, this takes it to a whole other level.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So um, let's get right to the chase. Um, what is your core position on uh, your, your climate plan? What does the core of your climate plan look like?
3: <clears throat> I think we need nothing short of a World War II mass I think that what we have to recognize, you know, it's funny, Ed, I read a book many years ago about uh, nervous breakdowns. And it was talking about two major categories of nervous breakdown. One is what was called a hysterical nervous breakdown, and one was a catatonic nervous breakdown. And the book was about the fact that if somebody's having a hysterical nervous breakdown, it's their hyster- it's the same kind of hysterical behavior that they demonstrate when they're under stress taken to a pathological level. If it's a catatonic breakdown, it's somebody's Catatonic type of tendencies that with which they display press uh, stress taken to a radical level. The book was about the fact that sometimes the people closest to them don't realize that it's at a radical place because it's just them them being them. So it's so a I, rhetorical
0: question, but where are we?
3: Well, where we are <laughs> is that we have crossed the line. Yeah, we have crossed the line into a, a, a point where. A level of social collapse, Mm. a massive level of social collapse, unseen in the modern era, is, while I won't say inevitable... Dangerously likely if we do right. not fundamentally change course, right. whether it has to do with mass starvation um, uh, huge food food shortages, so, whole swaths of possibly continents that are uninhabitable where food cannot be grown, so I believe we need a mass uh,
0: right. mass mobilization and, and so and calling for a mass mobilization along the scale of the World War II uh, emergency mobilization, pretty much calls it like it is. Yes. And I I presume that you would support what some are now calling for, that on your very first day in office, you would declare an emergency mobilization.
3: I don't think that that would be necessary if I do the job of president correctly. You know, declaring an emergency has become almost a gimmick. And I don't think that, you know, we we don't need presidents that then, okay, Uh, Trump is going to call it an emergency at the border. And then Mm. somebody, a Democrat, comes in and calls it a climate emergency. Unfortunately, our times have become so corrupted that the president calling an emergency at this point, almost no matter who it is, the other party will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in something much deeper than just whether I write on a piece of paper and sign my name that it's an emergency.
0: So what would your first action (laughs) as president be?
3: My first action is to call together. A group of people. Well, first of all, the first action, of course, you, is you appoint a head of the EPA, who is a world-class environmental scientist. Doesn't hate the EPA. I, I think the whole country will be will be arguing with the state of Washington over Jay Inslee. You know, I think, no, we want him. No, we just don't want him. No, we want him. I think probably, I, I said to one of the other Democratic candidates one night, so we all know that if anybody wins that's not Jay Inslee, that we'll all be hoping that he would head of the EPA. We need, obviously, the EPA to be uh, filled with... Uh, magnets. You become a magnet for world-class environmental science. And uh, we all know what's necessary. We need the carbon sequestration. We need the regenerative agriculture. We need the sequestration. We need the alternative energies and sustainable energy for transportation. We need the, uh, the animal factory farming to be dealt with. I think that the issue for the next president, and why I feel that I'm I I have something to offer here is the ability to mobilize the hearts of the American people. Mm. That is the most necessary thing because what we need to remember is that the day after the inauguration, those the fossil fuel uh, companies and all obstructive elements will be back full force, and if the president they already are. <laughs> and if the president is someone who simply posits this within an oppositional context, we will not be able to have that World War II level mobilization, because during World War II it was understood who the enemy was, and and nobody fought World War II as a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. So what we need is 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 a president who can enrol, enroll the country in the realization that the enemy is not us. And many of the captains of industry who have, in fact, been in charge of the greatest um, entities of industrial-scale harm are needed in the effort for industrial-scale repair. Do you think
0: you can recruit them in the cause?
3: I think that I have the best chance of anyone. Why is that? First of all, because I'm not an anti-capitalist. I'm for capitalism with a conscience, and I will give credit where credit is due. During World War II, we could not have won World War II without fossil fuels. There was a time on this planet, people didn't know, and 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 I, I don't think that we have to make wrong everyone who, leading up to this time in our history, made their made their living on fossil fuel. We have to have some, you know, everybody's got to accommodate emotionally, and I believe also that I. I understand that the level of navigation that is required here because we have to not only navigate these very turbulent waters of the times in which we live, but also if you're talking about moving from a dirty economy to a clean economy, you're talking about such a huge shift. And I believe that because of my 35-year career working very closely with people, I can convey, I'm not saying that other candidates wouldn't care, but I feel that I can convey to people this is going to be a transition. This is not going to be a loss for you. This is going to be a repurposing of your skill set.
0: But there will sac- sacrifice will be needed, right? Just as well, it was you know, in World War Two. Th-
3: there's a difference in in the, between the word to renounce and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Renounce means you give something up. To renounce means you forego the lower in order to achieve the higher. The truth of the matter is. I don't I see it as renunciation and not sacrifice because ultimately everybody is going to be better off even economically mm-hmm. ultimately everybody is going to be better off this is a transitional period and i feel that that transitional period in order for it not to be chaotic that's really we have emotional and psychological issues here if this just if this kinds of transition is is taken up with someone who does not have a skill set to to navigate the psychological energies in this country there will be such chaos and mm. and, and and the best we can get done will be something which the next time they're in power, they will repeal anyway. But the idea of inspiring and motivating the country to see this as a national cause that we're taking up, not only for our children, but as, as moral leaders of the world, that is what I feel can be done with the right so, president.
0: So, again, climate change is threatening our very existence right now. There is another existential threat on the horizon. It's not engaged mm-hmm. yet but it has been out there for a long time, and it needs to be talked about and addressed, and that's the threat of nuclear war. Yes. How how would you address the threat of nuclear war?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, I was, uh, just last night, I posted on my Twitter page uh, a piece that I, uh, a piece of a lecture I gave about the B-21 Raiders. Uh, the United States Air Force has ordered uh, 100 B-21 Raiders, which are a $560 million airplane, and each one drives not only conventional bombs, but also nuclear bombs. And I was pointing out in this clip, and people can see this also on my Facebook page or on my Instagram page, I was pointing out that why, you know, just asking, why does, do we need 100 airplanes that drop nuclear bombs? Of course, if you drop if five of those, because the large, we have about 7,000, it's believed we have about 7,000 nukes. And the, the smallest nuclear bomb on the earth today makes Nagasaki and Hiroshima look like pinpricks. Right. So I pointed out that if you dropped five of those, you're talking about the end of civilization as we know it. Mm-hmm. You drop 10 of those, it's probably the end for humanity. So I, I was pointing out, do you think this has anything to do with our national security? Absolutely not. This has to do with short-term
0: profits for the nuclear industry. Right. So how, this, do you, how do you address it as president? Well, I we're, mean, it's, everybody's failed so far. Well, Obama took a shot at it maybe, but.
3: No, I'm sorry. Not, I, I don't think that's very accurate. Well, actually, I, 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 I was being generous. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think that that <laughs> he serves. He talked the, about it. Yeah, but I don't think that serves the Democrats for us to be in denial about our own track record. I'm mm-hmm.
0: sorry. I, I, I really agree. don't. No, know. I do agree. Yeah.
3: Uh, I'm a candidate. Who, does not, who, who is not doing that. And I think the American people can smell that. And I, if we want to get the trust of the American people back the way we need to, on the massive level we need to, we need to be far more so, honest with ourselves about our own track record. So what record.
0: do you do? To well, first of
3: all, how I'm running this campaign. Tulsi Gabbard and I are the only candidates who talk about the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. We're the only people talking about um, about this, about what you just said, and about the dominance of that. So that's the first thing you
0: Bernie do. Bernie Sanders doesn't talk about it?
3: Well, Bernie Sanders is certainly taken some wonderful actions for instance in the um, in the um, uh, in the in in the uh, effort to stop Trump's uh, participation with Yemen how we uh, participate I mean with Saudi Arabia in the war against being waged against Yemen in which tens of thousands have have died he certainly did on the other hand let's be honest everybody has a record here he also okay those f-35s in Vermont mm-hmm. so it's <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's all be really honest okay. these days. So at this point, the issue there, when you ask me what I'm doing, is that I am. there's a way in which a campaign is a form of letting the cat out of the bag. You simply say what's true, and I think that's part of the problem with our political establishment. People are not talking about what's true. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. So number two, here I am talking about nuclear bombs. I'm talking about the fact that when I was young, we had a ban the bomb movement. Mm -hmm. We're not even talking about Mm nonproliferation and the very fact that except for me and Tulsi, it's not even a conversation in the campaign, which like so many other things, I believe, should be front and center. So what you do, first of all, you have a campaign where you're laying it down saying it like it is, doing some radical truth-telling and treating the voters in America like they're adults rather than children. That's number one. Number two, if people hear my agenda about such things as this and actually vote for me, that means by definition they're ready to go there. Now, if they're ready to go there, that also means that it's a very good chance. You know, when people say to me, well, what will happen if you're president and Mitch McConnell is still head of the Senate? Well, it's kind of it's reasonable to consider that if I became president, there would be such a shift in consciousness. That Mitch McConnell might not be. So listen, we have a representative form of government. The president is only one of three co-equal branches, but uh, the American people have a choice. If you want to uh, vote for someone like myself, you better believe yeah. that the dominance of the military-industrial complex is an issue for me, and the the hundreds of billions of dollars that we spend on our military – above and beyond what the military says what they need is an issue and in addition to that yeah. i want a department of peace which gives an equal weight to peace building as to military
0: now you mentioned telsey gabbard uh, one distinction you have uh, is that she does have a strong background in foreign policy just by virtue of her service um one problem obama had was he didn't have a deep foreign policy background <coughs> and that was perceived as a liability going into the gen- general election he uh a comp- uh, compensated for that by selecting Joe Biden because Joe Biden was seen as having a lot of foreign policy you know, background. So maybe you'll select Biden as a running mate?
3: I think it's time for us, yeah, I think it's time for us to get serious and get real here. Uh, Very experienced politicians, this whole thing of experience, very experienced politicians took us into Iraq. Very experienced politicians took us into uh, Vietnam. We really need to wake up, get out of our denial. What's lacking is not a certain kind of political experience. What's lacking is moral certitude.
0: So the um, and again, there's so many different uh, areas of the world right now that are in just in in stress uh, because of conflict. And probably no no one is more pronounced than the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. How do you address that?
3: Well, I think we were all hoping that Netanyahu would be a little further out of the way than he is (laughs) uh, with these last elections. He's a um, very unfortunate factor. He's very much like Trump you know trump is part of this sort of coterie of the new authoritarianism the new the new breed of neo dictator and um, and unfortunately he is is part of that my feeling about uh, Israel and Palestine is that we need and we would have if I'm president an equal and equally robust dedication both to the security needs of Israel uh, the legitimate security needs of Israel as well as to the human rights and the economic hopes and opportunities of the Palestinian people if you occupy a territory then by international law that does not give you the right to annex if he if Netanyahu even talks about in the ensuing days, which he talked about during the campaign, but you hope he was just doing that to get a bunch of right-wingers to vote for him. If he takes anything with any power behind him in doing so that has to do with the annexation of any part of the West Bank, this will begin, I, I'm, uh, it's reasonable to assume it would begin a third intifada. It will be a terrible, terrible thing. I certainly do not support that. I do not support also in the Golan Heights um, the idea of occupation, uh, given that there's not a democratic uh, government in, in Syria to uh, To negotiate with okay don 't even talk about about annexation, and I also do not believe that the blockade of Gaza um, is a good thing. I would not support it and um, you know and i 'm Jewish, I think that uh, Uh, My support for Israel is well-established, but uh, my support for the United States is well-established as well. That doesn't mean that I in any way support the agenda of of Donald Trump, and neither do I support the agenda of the right-wingers in Israel.
0: So the the, the two-state solution uh, has kind of a, a a lot of experts are saying that's not a viable proposal. Uh, Is that something that
3: a lot of experts say it's not? A lot of experts say it is. To me, it's the it's the only viable proposal. Anything else is is the you know. Otherwise, if it's not a if it's not a two state solution, then you're talking either about the eradication of a Palestinian state or the eradication of a Jewish state. And I'm for a full and robust existence of each.
0: I I yeah I, 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 see, I see more and more, you know, criticism of that as an option. Well,
3: of course so. you do because the American left has become uh mm-hmm. very um uh very influenced by that view. You know, I lived in um yeah. Yeah. So that's a I, standard I, left-wing thing today, but that doesn't mean that I'm enrolled.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I just wonder if there's if there's some I mean every every nation has its minorities. Is there any way to envision a a united israel Palestine, in well, which Palestinians united, live with st- equal-
3: Yeah, well, the issue is there is that if there's a one-state solution, Palestinians will not ultimately be the minority. So that's that's why and that's
0: of concern to well that's in ira-
3: well i believe that, that that there should be and there is a reason for a jewish state i believe there should be and there is a reason for a palestinian state like i said if i'm president the american uh, commitment to the viability and the um, the rights of both will be given equal weight okay
0: Another uh, uh, issue that is prominent in the campaign is health care. Yes. With uh, a lot of folks, uh, some candidates uh, calling for Medicare for all Mm -hmm. and others saying we need a public option. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's as far as they're willing to go. Where do you fit in that uh, spectrum? You know, uh, I I
3: have my my politics and my basic Mm -hmm. leanings are – I would say very progressive, very left-wing. And you pointed out the two, where my progressive friends often pull their hair out and say, Who are you? And one, of course, has to do with, I know, I I see Israel and Palestine differently than some, but also on health care. I have not been able, with my own heart and my own gut, to go all the way over uh, to the Bernie Sanders plan. I just can't. I understand the intellectual argument, but I'm out there. I'm in the country. I, you know, the way I see it, and I think that this is, is a responsibility of every candidate. Every candidate, and I think the, the, the responsible ones do, you know that if you're running for president, there is a chance you could win. Now,
0: I am. Right. Nobody right. thought Donald Trump could.
3: That's right. <laughs> and so you are carrying a deep, deep responsibility sure. here. Now, if I become president, I think it's clear that I want fundamental. Uh, pattern disruption, economically, socially, and politically. I want to be an agent of change, and everything I talk about is real change. Uh, my economic issues are real change. Uh, Department of Children and Youth, real change. Uh, climate mobilization, real change. Department of Peace, real change. Reparations, real change. And I'm I'm aware that the challenge and the issue is to be an agent of change, but not an agent of chaos. Now, when you and I were talking... We have
0: that in the White House already. We
3: absolutely do. And we know how dangerous and how, yeah. how how damaging it is. So, this is the issue. When you and I were talking about climate change already, and I mentioned that we, we will not be able to achieve what we want to achieve if it's only within an oppositional context. Mm-hmm. And the left does this at this point as much as the right. It's right. kind of like we're children. Well, they did it first. It doesn't matter. We have to get off that particular wheel of suffering. I look at health care the same way. Now, I know that with the Bernie Sanders plan, it is a four-year transition. So intellectually, I get, what's the problem? But emotionally and psychologically, it is a problem for a lot of people. So I feel that we can start with the uh, with the public option. I have heard people, I understand the argument that uh, private health insurance will just glum up the system. I understand the risk. But the truth of the matter is, <sighs> unless we just got rid of everything and started over, nothing's... Mm. No suggestion here is perfect. Right. So I, I have to stay with uh, public option.
0: Okay. And so, so again, I understand that argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's take that to a different, uh, to a broader perspective. Uh, your campaign is premised on a kind of a, a, a psychological transformation of, of, of America, of where folks suddenly understand that we can't be fighting each other, we've got to work together, that there, there's common ground. And that's... Um, contrary to the whole current demeanor whether it's in politics sports economics it's all confrontational it's all about winning it's all about getting ahead and how do you how do you move i mean we're we're, we're embedded in that demeanor uh, very deeply <clears throat> how do you move beyond that quickly enough to be able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish
3: i don't know how old you are but i'm old enough that i remember when it wasn't this way This is an infection that set in in the 1980s. I remember there was a man named Ivan Bosky, and he was famous for saying, greed is good. This was ushered in with a trickle-down economics. I'm not romanticizing what America was before, but there was a general consensus that we were supposed to treat each other right. Not that we ever got there all the way, but this is an aberrational chapter It's an extended
0: one. It's it's an extended
3: one, but if you look at the whole, on the other hand, if you look at the entire narrative of American history or history in general, 40 years is just 40 years. We need a season of repair, and that season of repair involves, as as Gandhi said, Gandhi and Dr. King in talking about the philosophy of nonviolence said that part of the work is self-purification, purification of our own hearts. And I believe, Ed, and my career has shown me this my father used to say he was a lawyer and he used to say talk to the smartest person on the jury i believe that part of the corruption of our political system is that it talks to people like we're children and it only speaks to our self interest hmm. i find when you talk to people in that place where they're intelligent no moral or no social socioeconomic group in this country has a monopoly on values no socioeconomic group has a monopoly on intelligence. And I am speaking and plan to speak as president to the nobility and people, to the genuine patriotism in people, that we're not just doing this for ourselves, we're doing this for our great-great-grandchildren. And I believe that this is a pregnant moment, in in large part because people have seen what agendas such as the Trump agenda do to our to our national soul. And I believe that we're ready for what um, Martin Luther King Jr. called a coalition of conscience. Right. I'm putting my bet on the goodness and the dignity and the decency of the American people.
0: It's a very powerful message, a very compelling message. And, um, and here we are four months from the Iowa caucuses, and you're not polling very high. What do you do about that? How do you change that? Uh, how do you, these, you, how do you know, get these, people to take it more seriously?
3: Well, I think people who actually hear me speak take it seriously. Mm-hmm. People who are uh, allowing the gatekeepers... Who have clearly uh, undertaken a campaign of smear? And
0: are we talking about the DNC or some other? Computer? No, I'm not
3: talking about specifically the DNC. Well, although you don't really, you know, some of these, um, the mockery campaign, the silliness. She's crystal lady. She's wacky. She's whatever. Right. And who's behind that? I'm not sure. I have some guesses, but I, I don't know. The, but the worst part of it, though, is that it gets picked up and then repeated and repeated. I feel that when people actually hear me they They get that that's not who I am, uh and they also get uh they it occurs to them well, no wonder they wanted to uh you know mock her and make sure that we don't take her seriously also. These these polls are an, a, a, the equivalent of superdelegates because they have to do with people who are, quote, unquote, likely Democratic voters. That means people who have voted in primaries before. Many of the people who are supporting my campaign have not voted in Democratic primaries before. That doesn't mean they're not voters. I mean, if you look at my supporters and you do the data analysis, they vote in the midterms. They vote in the um, uh, in the in the regular elections. But they're not known for being uh, necessarily uh, have voted in, in Democratic primaries, many independents, et cetera. So, and I don't have the money, to, you know, that some have who are dropping something like $10 million in Iowa alone. But I feel, and my talking to you here today is an example, I am saying some things which I believe need to be said and which I believe many people believe need to be said. Hmm. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, your life begins to end on the day you stop talking about things that matter. Yes. So yeah. I asked myself when I didn't get into the third debate, uh, should I drop out? And uh, between the guidance of my own heart and my own gut and the counsel of people, not only who I respect, but who I know are real with me hmm. and b- b- brutally honest with me, my, my gut says, You go. And when I, as long as I show up, places people are listening. There's a there's an energy of truth telling, radical truth telling that I believe this country is ready <clears> for. Then <throat> I'm in. And uh, the DNC, the very fact that we think what the DNC says matters so much mm. is part of the problem in American politics today.
0: Well, yeah, and, and part of the problem is uh, the DNC. Um, Thinks that it matters, and so they create a a set of criteria for debates that uh, that are designed to exclude a lot of people. And there's a logic behind that, but there's also—I mean, you—you mentioned Tulsi Gabbard, and you having some very similar views on foreign policy. I think I think they have the same attitude toward her. You guys are outsiders. Of course, they do. You guys are outsiders. They really don't want those voices.
3: Right. So when you hear when you hear all these people who think of themselves (laughs) as such free thinkers so lining up behind those who would purposely marginalize people like Mar- uh, Tulsi and myself, not realizing how insidiously they're being influenced. You know, it's interesting to me also, the Republicans, it's so ironic, isn't it? The Republicans generally normally do not defer to the RNC the way the Democrats so often defer to the DNC. Mm-hmm. Republicans just look at the RNC and say, yeah, those guys work for us. You know, they're our administrative arm. So I'm, I'm a radically American thinker. You know, our Constitution doesn't even mention political parties. You know, George Washington warned us against them. It says that to be qualified to be president, you need to have been born here, 35 or older, and lived here for 14 years.
0: Well, again, Donald Trump has proven that anybody can be president.
3: Well, I understand well, and, and that-
0: hopefully there's hopefully you can prove on the other side that virtue well, is as powerful well, yes, as vice.
3: I, I don't invalidate or diminish the importance of uh, people's concern that we already had someone from without the si- outside the system. I don't think, however, the problem is the president's lack of of uh, experience. I think it's his lack of ethics, his lack of respect and visceral taste for democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so one, um, you, you've traveled a lot in Iowa now. One quick story about something interesting that you think our audience would be interested in hearing about.
3: The Meskwaki powwow. Yeah was particularly touching to me and the, the also the uh, Native American uh, forum that occurred. I believe very strongly, just as I want uh, reparations for slavery, I, I feel that this country, like an individual, cannot have the future we want if we're not willing to clean up the past. And so justice for Native Americans is an extremely important part of my campaign. And I felt when I met people at the forum as well as people at the Meskwaki powwow. I was very moved and I am very dedicated if I, if I become president. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the issue is not as clear cut as with slavery. Uh, we're talking about nego- uh, treaties that weren't fairly negotiated, treaties that have been broken, return of the Black Hills, the Bakken Pipeline, um, the missing indigenous uh, and murdered indigenous women. Um, and one little girl, she was nine years old and she was at the Muskwaki powwow and she said to me, you have to win.
1: Hmm.
3: It was so touching. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing that I remember, and I'm not <clears throat> trying to pander to you, Ed, but I remember when you uh, had me at a particular forum that you were doing, one of the things I've seen, and you're an example of this, but I've seen it in many areas of the country. I've seen it around, uh, around environment, but I've also seen it around children. I've also seen it around peace building, and I've seen it here as in every other state. We have the people who know what to do. Mm. We have the best practices. We have the ingenuity. What we need is a president who would do what it takes to give people such as yourself in all of these areas the support the resources, the money, and also enroll the American people in an understanding of how important you are.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank I know you have got a busy schedule. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk thank with you. folks. Uh, we've been talking with Marianne Williamson. You can learn more about her campaign. I think it's Marianne2020? Marianne2020.com. Dot com. Yeah, great. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute, folks. A short break, and then we're going to give you an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline. With you here, folks, a quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Again, support them because they help make this alternative to Radical Right-Wing Radio possible. Gateway Market and Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland, my grocery store, and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, or supper. Gateway also has an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, located on East 5th and Walnut Street in the East Village of Des Moines, 90% of the food served at Hawk year-round comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Hawk also has a booth at the Farmer's Market where they serve breakfast wraps every Saturday morning, except for the second Saturday of the month. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located on 6th and College. You know, as people are trying to find ways of saving money, one way to do that is to not ditch your car for a new one. Hang on to that thing. Take it to Sergeant's. They'll give you the right diagnosis and a fair price every time. Thanks also to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Get your insurance needs, all of them covered under one banner. No appointment, need that need, no appointment needed. Sorry, Stop by. That's Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand. And finally, thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Founder and owner Ying Sa will set you right with your tax and accounting needs. Give her a shout. That's Ying Sa at Community CPA. All right. So, welcome back to the program. With the short time we have left, I got to tell you what's happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline is fascinating. Now, last year, thanks to connections I have, I was aware that uh, it was likely that Energy Transfer Partners, the owner of the pipeline, would be proposing an expansion. At the time, we didn't know whether they wanted to expand to a second pipeline, like they like the. Twinning the pipeline, which they've done in other parts of the country, or whether they wanted to increase the flow of oil through the existing pipeline. Well, turns out it's the latter. And on June twelfth, I believe, they filed a notification with the Iowa Utilities Board saying, we want to, we're going to do this. They weren't even asking for permission. They say, we're just notifying you that we're going to be Uh, Expanding the oil coming through the pipeline. They wouldn't even say how much. We had to find out how much through interventions in other states. Illinois, South Dakota, North Dakota, all four of these states have to, the the, the pipeline company needs to get approval in all four states. So here we are wondering how the Iowa Utility Board is going to respond. Bold Iowa, Sierra Club, both responded with very aggressive um, and well-thought-out uh, uh filings that indicated concern and recommended some some you know some actions the IUB might take like for example holding a public forum so anyway the um the uh you know the the uh utility board came back and said um we're going to get people till a certain date to file concerns responses that happened and then it just kind of sat there for almost 3 months and lo and behold the utilities board indicated that, you know, they, they said, okay, we, we, we hear what you're saying, Dakota Access Pipeline. You don't think you need, a you know, need an amendment to your permit. We disagree. You need to file an amendment to the permit. Wow, that's big news. That's um that's significant. I think part of it is the utilities board does not like being boxed into a corner. They don't like feeling like the company is saying, look, our way or the highway. And I don't think they were expecting energy transfer to come back and say, hey, we're going to double the flow of oil through this pipeline. I think the whole thing was approved with the assumption that it was going to be 570,000 barrels a day, which is still an awful lot. That's the equivalent of 30 coal-fired power plants. So now, what does energy transfer do in response to the utilities board? They say, we want you to reconsider your position. And I'm thinking, do they do, do do they know that they're they're talking with people who don't like to be pushed around? <laughs> uh, so I, I think the I think the energy transfer partners might be talking itself into a corner here, and just digging that hole a little deeper. I don't know. Anyway, right now people need to know about this. This is a serious major problem because if it does happen, the equivalent of thirty new coal fired power plants emissions will be going into the atmosphere where they are absolutely not needed at a time we need to be cutting back. This is Ed Fallon, folks, talking to you from the Fallon Forum here on Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM in Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. So after the program today, Marianne Williamson came to visit the Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where Kathy and I had a chance to sit down with her and talk about why urban farming is so important.
3: Hi, I'm here with two great people. Ed Fallon, who is the founder of Bold Iowa, and his partner Kathy Burns. And she has Birds and Bees Urban Farm. You can hear more about that on Facebook, and she'll have a website soon. They have shown me their urban farm. And, you know, we're all aware that we need to make a major shift. We know we need to mobilize in order to transition from a dirty economy to a clean economy. People have become aware we're no longer in the data collection phase. I think there is a mass awakening. And now so many people want to know what should we do, what can we do. A lot of it has to do with federal governmental policies, as well as state and local, but a lot of it has to do with the kinds of things that Ed and Kathy are doing here at their own home. And that has to do with urban farming. It has to do with how we ourselves can think differently, take our backyards, take the land that we have, and start growing food. So I'm going to let them articulate it much better than I can. You'll see some other images. You probably have seen some images from their farm. I think it's particularly important for the children. I know when my daughter was a little girl, we had a vegetable farm in the backyard because I wanted her to know food doesn't just arrive on your plate. So, Ed and Kathy, thank you so much for sure. what you have shown me and um, w- what is this movement and, and how do you see it unfolding? And what is the role of urban farming and actually making a difference in sequestering carbon?
1: Well, our food comes from places that we're not even aware of as right. you said when you and your daughter had the little garden right um, people need to know where their food comes from mm-hmm. and sometimes it comes from so far away so transporting the food the fact that the food is not produced in a way that you, you even understand the way, you know maybe they maybe they don't even use um, natural products to produce their food so when your food comes from a local place, you know, it doesn't have all the transportation costs. It's much fresher when it reaches you. You know, it's got the full power of the nutrients that it was intended to have because it's grown in good soil and it's tended well. And we can just we can just enjoy our food more, eat better, live healthier, and and just enjoy what we can before you know climate chaos takes no, over. <laughs> we're, not, we're going to avoid that level of chaos.
3: But I want to say something else here about connection and ecosystem we're all aware that we can't be happy in life if we don't feel like we belong to something bigger than ourselves. And usually we think of that in terms of belonging to a family, belonging to a tribe, belonging to other people. But I think as we evolve in the in the, in the the way that we need to as a human race, we're also coming to a greater understanding that we're part of a larger order even than just our species. That has to do with animals, of course, but it also has to do with nature itself. I know when I was outside, I, just feeling the real connectivity that that nature provides those you know that rhubarb and nature provides that broccoli and nature provides those green peppers and nature provides uh those brussels sprouts wasn't the celery good yeah the celery (laughs) I ate some of the celery this idea that we're all part of a, of a larger ecosystem. And you know, people talk about how we've so much of the problem, or at least I talk about how so much of the problem is that we've lost the sense of reverence for nature, you know, the great mother, which nature is. But it's very difficult to lack reverence for nature when you're around it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's so you're important that children, children get to see this uh, and experience it and to plunge their hands into thick, rich soil and get to feel what that's like. Because it really, mean, really, I mean, if I can tell you, the number one crop we grow it's soil. You know, and we, we make a lot of our own soil through our composting effort, and that 's why we have okra that 's eight feet tall and peppers that are six feet tall, and tomatoes that are so tall we can 't contain them and you know they, they, the, the foliage growth is really lush and when you've got good foliage growth you 've got good fruit good good tubers good you know, you know so plants I, want, all I want
3: you to to explain to people some of you i 'm sure understand and know this, but others uh, you know this was a kind of topic that I certainly wasn 't early. But, part of, but more and more people are interested and curious and really get that we need to catch up here. So explain what has happened to farming in the United States? What has happened to the soil in the United States? What has happened not only here in Iowa but throughout the country that's so dangerous? And the second thing I want to know is what is the larger movement of repair regenerative hmm. agriculture urban farming et cetera? i think that a lot of people i know it's a big topic to put just in a
1: little thumbnail but i think yeah. that's the, the level on which people need to
0: understand me to? well
1: i think you started it by talking about the soil hmm. uh, when when the soil is is run ragged by overproduction, over-farming, the nutrients don't get, they, they are depleted, they don't get transmitted to the food, and so, okay, we have so food that right doesn't there food doesn't it do taste a like
3: translation. It started mainly in the 1980s, would you say? With the huge agribusiness, agricultural conglomerates.
1: I remember small family farms growing up in Mr. Exactly.
3: So we used to have small family farms. There was a more of a human dimension to it, more of a human relationship. The family had the farm. Once you brought in this huge agricultural corporate conglomerate scene, it became about short-term profits before long-term agricultural health. Wouldn't right. you say that?
0: Yeah, and a big part of the problem is the... Uh, the, the farm support programs support the wrong thing
3: yeah because there's too much when we talk about supporting the farmers too often these days they're not really talking about supporting the small farmer but supporting the large agricultural component. even larger
0: so, I, I have a friend who farms pretty standard uh, you know corn bean operation some some hogs I think as well and wanted to diversify so they planted some beets like an acre maybe two acres of beets and because of that, they violated the terms of their corn subsidy agreement and they had to pay back some because apparently you can't do that. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. so let's let, I yeah, want to make
3: sure that everybody, you know, I think one of the things that people in this movement do, they speak sometimes at a gradient higher. Then everybody's sort of ready, and right. and so if you don't Sorry. if you don't fill in information <laughs> one two three then in four five six you kind of lost people. The whole idea of diversity, when you pr- plant different crops, that's healthier. And so when this you know corporatization of agriculture came in, it was all about creating more short term profit by having only one particular crop. Right? Or a rotation of corn and beans yeah. around here. Yeah. So, what he's saying is that when somebody said, Well, I want to grow some beets, they were actually punished because they
1: grew beets. Right. I mean. And a lot of what we see grown on some of the big farms, it's not food. It's feed, it's product. It's, uh, it's something used to make something else. And sometimes it might be. High fructose corn syrup right. or something that, that right.
3: maybe isn't going to be the best. Notice thing to how eat. she says high fructose corn syrup. It's such a radical thing to even say that her voice got really low. That's the kind of like soft, like little fascism in the air in America today. We better not say it. No, we better say it. That's why I'm running for president, as you know. So so let me ask you Ed going back to this issue then of and Kathy, going back to this issue of the urban farming, explain how urban farming helps counter and, and, and this this corporatization and conglomeration, uh, co- corporate conglomeration of agriculture, taking it back to a reverent natural place in all of our lives. Yeah. Uh, how can how long has this been going on? This whole craze for urban uh, urban. Well, it's farming? really just getting started. Yeah. And
0: uh, and, and and really, the, the front edge of it was farmers in the countryside thinking, you know, hey. I mean, I, and I have a lot of respect for our corn and bean farmers. They're yes. just uh, they're stuck on a treadmill. Yes. Yeah, you know, they, that's where the subsidies are. That's right. where the, the whole culture has grown to. But you start. And they to were think, almost
3: forced many of them into yeah. selling their farm, yeah. that then they're they right feed their well, families, and, families. and rightfully so.
0: But a lot of them are starting to think, well, what can I do differently? And so, for the last you know 20 years around here, we've seen more and more farmers who are growing organic for local markets, uh, either farmers' markets or or, uh, or community-supported farms, or marketing to restaurants. Um, We've we've seen a lot of that, and that's really taking off. Um, so much so, I used to be I used to know every organic farmer in the state. Not even close now, you know. Good, that's good. I mean. It is a great problem to have. Yeah. So now uh, again, more and more people are starting to do what we're doing. I don't know anybody in Des Moines doing it as intensively as we are. But more and more folks are trying to raise a lot of their own food on what little land they might have. And, you and can the lucky do a thing
1: lot. for us is that you know we rent this uh, this home, and we. Uh, you know, are farming on rented land, but our landlady is really in favor and encouraging of us to do that. And so, I would like to see more people who offer spaces for rent uh, provide such opportunities for their tenants. Well,
3: I think part of that is that you're such lovely people, and also <laughs> you make the you make the area so much more beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's no way that their yard would be as beautiful as it is were it not for this, uh, for not for this growth. No. So, tell me this. Give us a, uh, what is Bold, Iowa, so people will know.
0: Bold, Iowa was founded uh, in opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline, which has cut through almost 350 miles of some of the best farmland in the world, and we um, we met opposing that pipeline. Kathy had land on the pipeline route, and um, Bold, Iowa formed to try to fight that. Uh, we're still fighting it because now the company wants to come in and double the oil that's flowing through Iowa. Yeah. And if they are successful at doing that, That's the equivalent carbon emissions of 30 new coal-fired power plants. So we're fighting hard against that. But Bold Iowa, right now, uh, we focus on the presidential campaign, trying to encourage candidates to be as strong on climate as you are. And um, and whatever we do is always going to be focused on the climate crisis, on some aspect of it, because if we don't get this crisis solved, nothing else is going to matter.
3: You know there's a saying that every problem comes bearing its own solution and the fact that we have this climate crisis is what has pushed so much of this, of this information to the fore and so many of us who might not have looked, might not have considered it sort of part of what we were about, now realize every citizen has to be, has to be engaged here. Every citizen is, should think of ourselves as an immune cell. Uh, in the body politic, and the body politic is sick, the earth is sick and it needs repair. And each and every one of us as citizens are conduits for that. Not each and every one of us are going to be uh, like Ed and Kathy, deeply knowledgeable about all this stuff, but that's why people like Ed and Kathy are here to educate the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And
1: what about you? What about the birds and the bees urban farm? What, What can people know and how can people learn more from you? Well, you can look it up at Birds and Bees Urban Farm on Facebook. We are going to start hosting some workshops for people to learn to farm their yards and feed themselves, and uh, we hope to get that started in February. There's a lot of groundwork to lay, and we're going to offer some really great stuff.
3: And this is happening everywhere. I went to a beautiful, beautiful urban farm in Detroit, Michigan, not mm. too long ago, that I put on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram, I'm not sure, so this is happening everywhere. Check out Birds and Bees Urban Farm. and. Uh, you know, this, uh, this moment in time in our country and on our planet is not about staying inside our comfort zones. It's about stretching. It's about expanding. And all of the things that we need to expand into in order to make the country a better place and the world a better place are actually things that will make our lives much better. Not just for us, but for everybody. So, thank you so much, Ed. Thank you so thank much, you, Gary. You, and, by the way, we're, oh. we're not drinking whiskey. This uh, is uh, a <laughs> mint from their garden. Mint tea. I and I saw the, the chickens. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in today, folks. And if you'd like to learn more about the Birds and Bees Urban Farm, go to the Facebook page, Birds and Bees Urban Farm. That's Birds, ampersand, bees, urban farm. Learn what you can there. It's just getting started. There'll be a website soon with a lot more information coming out. This is Ed Fallon with the Fallon Forum.